Uh, these guys are really sounding very nice today. Thank you for your service. Good morning, church. Yeah, it's, I'm glad to see each and every one of you. I can see some familiar faces. Yeah, some guys I haven't seen for quite a while. So, Kariboni Nyote. This month we start um, a new series. By the way, doesn't the cross look very rugged, eh? Yeah, it does, eh? Yes, it's real. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look old. Okay, you need to touch it so that you know it's actually rugged. Yeah, it has some, it will leave some mark on you. But anyway, I just want also to thank um, the West Clesia group for this nice decor. I mean, they've given of themselves to come and make sure things are working out. Anyway, uh, this month we start uh, a new series. And um, I remember somebody was asking me when we were, I was telling you about what you want to do uh, for this series. And they were like, hey, okay, how does that tie in with uh, what you're doing? I think if those guys who are on Facebook, you've seen the banner we've put for for our our series. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, and you're wondering, okay, how does chess have to do with yeah the the scriptures or even just you know what the word of God, the Lord says? But we're going to try and tie the game of chess with the story of Easter, why Jesus Christ came and died for us. So I want to start by asking, how many of us have played the game of chess? Or they've, they play chess? Attempted. Oh, yeah. Oh, let, me, let me add again. Attempted. Yeah? And please, let me be clear. Chess is not draft, eh? So please, eh? Yeah, yeah. Let, let me be clear. You know, there's some people who can be wondering, okay, yeah, there's this checkered boxes. So what's going on? So how many of us have attempted or played chess? Oh, or, or you play chess. You can just put your hand up. Yeah, attempted. Okay, attempted. Attempted. They look at me here. Okay, for those who have, eh, they know that. Uh, for those, it's a game of two players. Yeah, down on a checkered game board with sixty-four squares. Have you ever counted those squares? Yeah, arranged in an eight by eight grid. It's one of the world's most popular games. Played by millions, including you who have played eh? worldwide in homes, in parks, in clubs. Uh, there's even online. Eh? Yeah, I even learned this, this even by correspondence. Yeah? And also in tournaments. We've seen that actually people have played in tournaments. This is a game that is full of strategy, but far more, it's a game of calculating. As a chess player, you have to calculate your move. You cannot afford to play without calculation. Yeah, and I said it's not like drafts or checkers. Well, there's not too much calculation. You know, you know where this guy is going. So, yeah, you can whatever. You know, there's some guys who can play um, drafts like in five minutes. They know how they're going to get you, and that's it. But every move in chess is strategically calculated. And the goal of the game is to checkmate 
the other opponent's king. Well, bringing this back uh, to us, God is a chess player. The reason? Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, God's plan for man's redemption has been a matter of calculated moves. So this month, as we celebrate and reflect on Easter, we shall learn about God's calculated moves in having us redeemed and through that redemption how to be a chess player calculating our moves in defeating our opponents and winning in his kingdom. So I invite you in our April series where we'll use common chess terms to bring this out. Today we shall start with the chessboard setup where we shall learn how all is started and God's response. The second week, we shall learn about check, the word check, and what it means. We are God's calculated moves that end up at the cross. And on the third week, the most common word in, in chess, checkmate, a story on how God became victorious through his son's resurrection. And on the last week, the chessboard pieces and that's how it comes back to us. How each one of us is important in God's calculated move in redeeming man and winning in his kingdom. So today we start with a chessboard setup. But before we go to the word of God, I just want to do some chessboard setup 101. So at the beginning of the game, the chessboard is laid out so that each player has the white or light color square in the bottom right-hand side. So, yeah, that's how it looks. That's how an empty chessboard looks like. So the chessboard pieces are then arranged in the same way each time. The second row, or it's called rank, is filled with a pawn. Yeah? Okay. Those are the, those are the rooks, yeah. The rooks go into the corners. Then the knights next to them, followed by the bishops. And finally, the queen. Yeah, that's where the pawns are, sorry. Yeah? And then um, and the king on the remaining square. So it becomes the full uh, chessboard setup. So we shall learn about these pieces on the fourth week. So today we, we just put our mind uh, on the setup. And so this is an incentive for you to make sure you come every Sunday of the month of April. Yeah? So if you want to learn about the chessboard pieces, fourth Sunday. Mark it, fourth Sunday. Okay, let's go to today's sermon. Yeah, before uh, somebody starts thinking, okay, where am I going with all this? So, the first thing we're going to learn is God's redemption plan starts from the Old Testament. How he calculated, you know, how the, the setup started actually from the Old Testament. So let's go back to the Old Testament and see how all this setup began. God gave us physical, temporary life. Since we are physical, we all eventually face death. There's no accident of evolution, but, came, but as a result of circumstances knowable, only from the Bible. In the beginning, 
of God's plan for mankind, God made available to Adam and Eve his gift of eternal life, which is represented by the tree of life. You know the story, you know? This tree represented choosing to believe in and obey God's revealed will, embracing his way of life. The garden contained another tree as well. The tree of the knowledge of good and, and evil. That's from verse 9 of chapter 2 of Genesis. This tree represented something altogether different. Man choosing his own way of life rather than choosing, following God's revelation. Deciding for himself what is good and evil. So, Adam and Eve were influenced by Satan. You know, through a serpent. And they made a fundamental choice that has affected humanity ever since. They chose to take of the wrong tree. Eat the forbidden fruit. Refuse to believe and obey God. And result of that, they came under the dominion of Satan and the penalty of sin. And that is suffering and death. And from there, the chessboard was set up. Man, God had an opponent. Man had an opponent. And God had to calculate how this man will be redeemed. Had Adam and Eve taken of the tree of life, they would have received eternal life. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. This is why, after they had made the wrong choice and had taken of the wrong tree, God had to cut them off from the tree of life. God could not allow them to live forever in their sinful, rebellious state. Because of their disobedience, God told them of their sure fate. And in Genesis 3.19, it says, You return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, dust you shall return. It is important to realize that God's original plan was to give mankind eternal life. God didn't intend for us to die. And this came because of disobedience by Adam and Eve. And from that time, like I said, God got an opponent, and that's the devil. But because he loved us, he had a plan for each and every one of us. He made sure, you know what? I'm going to put this uh, chessboard set up and know how to have this redemption plan to bring these guys back to my, to my kingdom. You know, because of Adam and Eve, they introduced sin to mankind. And yet, God's purpose of mankind stands. His purpose is to give mankind 
eternal life to succeed. And throughout the Bible, from Genesis um, to the New Testament, you'll actually see that it's the unfolding plan of God's redemption for us. The purchase of mankind for a price. And that's what God had from the beginning. That's the setup he did. And he knew, you know what? He will not give up and give us that second chance. But even as he continues, you know, he started from the, the Old Testament. But also, his plan continued. If you read the Old Testament until the book of uh, Malachi, yeah, everything underlying is actually God's redemption plan. You know, for us guys, it might take like, if you want to redeem someone, we have timelines. Like we'll say, you know what? Obviously, it won't take us like 2,000 years to try and, you know, try and have that solution. But God's redemption plan unfolded slowly by slowly. I'm also told that, you know, when you're playing the g game of chess, huh? I mean, people can even play for two days. Yeah? It's not a game that you can play. You as in it's not a game that can end uh, very uh, fast. Some guys can even play for two days. So you can imagine through the whole uh, Old Testament, I mean, all those things were happening to the nation of Israel. God had only one plan to redeem mankind. So the story continues in the New Testament. And I want us to um, see God's redemption plan that continues in the New Testament. And I want us to turn to Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 32 to 34. And let me read. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. While those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to, Israel, to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and, he will, and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So we see the Lord's plan continues here. Jesus had set sights on Jerusalem and he knew what was going to happen when he got there. The disciples in verse 32 were both amazed and afraid, but they still followed. Can you imagine somebody is telling you about their death and what is going to happen? We are going to this place and this is what is going to happen to me. Of course, your first reaction is, you know, I'm not going with you. If this is what is going to happen, yeah, you are on your own. Yeah? So the disciples were afraid, but they still followed. But what I think, the reason why they followed is because Jesus led them. He was out in front. You know, sometimes God's plans do not lead us into pleasant situations. 
Yeah, we need to remember that he's continually out in front of us, leading the way. And yes, sometimes what we perceive as suffering is actually part of that plan. I know nobody wants to suffer. I also don't want, I also don't like to suffer. But we need to see that actually in God's plan, suffering is actually part of his plan. And even in Matthew, um, he wrote about Jesus actually undergoing that suffering. And he said, you know, he will undergo great suffering. And I think that's an understatement. What we have to receive here is a plan behind the suffering. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to go to the cross. God's plan for his son was a plan of servanthood and service. Jesus had to endure great suffering for us to be redeemed. And that was all in God's plan. You know, sometimes we think that, you know, uh, I have this plan laid out, and I think, you know, and you know, you have this plan, you said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to put in. I can bet you, you have never put suffering in part of that plan. How do you? You never put suffering as part of that plan. But can you imagine, God put suffering in that plan. You know, that his only son. Can you imagine that you are planning for your child? You know, you're planning for them to, you want them to go to this high school. My dad wanted me to go to Starehe, boys, but I didn't, I, I suffered and so I did not go. Yeah, uh, you say, you know, you want, uh, you want your child to go to this national school, you want them to go to this university, you know, and you have all this plan laid out. And then in between the plan, you say, you know what, I'm going to put like a suffering there, you know, something that they're going to endure and know, you know, who I am, you know. Can you imagine? God did that for his son. He knew that in this plan, my son has to suffer, but I have to, I have to be strong and know that actually I want to redeem mankind. And that's what he did in the New Testament. Jesus knew he was going to the Jerusalem. He knew, hey, I'm entering this town and that's it. I know uh, my fate is sealed. You know, but mankind will be redeemed. And we see that plan actually flowing all the way from Old Testament uh, to the New Testament. As in God just putting, setting up yeah, that boat because he knows I have to defeat my opponent. I have to defeat the devil so that the plan I had in the beginning for mankind that it will be fulfilled and that we'll have eternal life. So we ask ourselves, what's God's redemption plan for us? And I want us just to read from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. And it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? 
for, for, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Bringing us back home and also to the game of chess. You know, chess is a game of many surprises. For those who have played her, a game where you should never underestimate your opponent that you don't know. You may think that you're winning because you have more pieces on the board than your opponent and have your queen placed in a strategic place. But just as a pawn can be fatal to a game if it becomes a queen. Just as a pawn can be used to cause a check and force your king to move. A pawn, you might be rejected. You might be actually neglected in all your calculated movable might. Be the central focus of your opponent to checkmate you. So you can reject, you can say, you know, this pawn is not important. But actually, it can be the central focus of your opponent to checkmate you. I was reading on, uh, I was reading Colossians chapter 1, and this was the image I got when I thought about this. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has rebe been revealed to the saints. A pawn is not as strong as a queen. Would you believe your adversary if he predicted at the start of the game that he'll beat you without a queen and the rooks? Well, it happened uh, during Jesus' times, and the Jews argued against this idea of having a Messiah from Gal Galilee. Sorry, replied, "Are you from Galilee too?" That was John seven. Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. At that time, Galilee was not, it was not a very good town. As in, people, the Jews hated Galilee with their all might. So they never knew any, nothing good will come out of Galilee. They said, is it not this Jesus, the son of the poor con uh, carpenter Joseph, was he not the one who was born in a stable? We knew him since birth. How can he claim to be God? How can he dare to say that he's the only way to heaven? Is he not blaspheming when he says that he can forgive our sins? Is he mad to say that he can rebuild the temple in three days? Oh my, let me tell you, the Jews were offended. Yeah? When they heard about all these claims from Jesus. Is it, is it impossible that this Jesus could be the promised Messiah and the God-sent king? The Jews were waiting for a powerful leader to deliver them from oppression of the Romans. But God's way of bringing salvation to man was not something that the Jews ever thought of. This good news, the gospel, was kept 
secret for centuries. Just the way a chess player keeps his calculated moves secret. Paul said, when God's enemies were rejoicing, when the king of Jews was crucified, they thought that they had won, won actually, that fight. They said, in Matthew 27, 42, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. What they did not know, that all this was part of God's plan. God's plan for us. God's calculated moves to redeem man. Jesus had to die. The scholars at that time eh, could not understand that. The experts in the Jewish laws were really annoyed with Jesus. The Greek philosophers and intellectuals found it hard to accept that God could do such a thing. Is this foolishness? Well, maybe the good news about Christ lacks a lot of logic. It seems to us it is not wise for God to do such a thing. But it was God's way of saving mankind. God's way of saving you and me. God's way of saving the person you've been crying out to. Or even the person you haven't seen. You know, I never talked to you about the plan of redemption. God wanted to destroy the wisdom of those who thought they were illuminated. Had the answers to eternal life. And claimed to know God. I know some of us are face those challenges when you're ministering to someone and they ask you about all these things about religion, about God, about this eternal life. How can you believe in a God that you've not seen? How do you believe that you're going to live forever? Yeah? How can the Messiah die on a cross? Is it not this a sign of weakness from God? How can God inhabit in a human body? I've asked that question by someone. Is this not a sign of weakness from God? Did God lose on Golgotha? But God uses the vile things of this world to shame those who think they are wise. No one boasts that he knew how God will bring salvation. What God did goes against all human wisdom and reasoning. Even Thomas, you know, Jesus' follower, who saw all the miracles yeah, that Jesus did, he actually doubted that Jesus had indeed risen. And I think that's a challenge to us. How are we able to carry the message? Are we shaken? You know, are we able to stand and say, you know, this is actually God's redemption plan for us. And I believe in it. 
Paul summarizes it, it well. And I just want us to, it's a long verse, but I want us to read so that we can see how all this came out. And he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligent of, intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, the, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through his, its, its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This Jesus that many people despise, insult, consider a foolish invention, and ignore is God's manifested wisdom. Paul acknowledges that the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. It does not make sense. Paul in Romans 1.16, he said that he was not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. When he heard about the stories of the powerful gods uh, of the Greeks, he was not ashamed to say about his own God, about the crucified son of Jesus Christ. Jesus humbled himself and made himself nothing. He endured all the suffering so that we can have eternal life. It's like a king crossing the chessboard just to save a pawn like me. This is God's wisdom and God's perfect plan. It's only by faith 
that one can believe in such a foolish message of the cross. Yes, in fact, it was God's very plan from the beginning that man would be saved by having faith in such a message. And through Jesus' humility, he took back the place of highest honor in heaven and won. I want to encourage you with this uh, verses from Philippians 5.11. That says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know what your attitude is towards this Christ Jesus. And you can see God's calculated moves. He's set up. He knew, you know what? People may be thinking, you know, um, um, I don't want to redeem them, but I have a plan. When you look from the Old Testament, when people uh, sacrificed lambs so that God could redeem them, you know, they kept on wondering, you know, when, when, when will this thing going to end? I mean, like, you know, we have killed all this, you know? You can imagine if you have all these lambs and you have to count, yeah, every month. Yeah, I have to count one lamb to go and sacrifice. You know, uh, if it was this day and age, you know, that's you're losing an asset. But God had a plan. He had a plan for each one of us. And sending his son to die on the cross. Just on the chessboard set up, you know, he was here, the devil was there. And you, knew, you know what? I need to set up everything. I need to have a plan so that... I can be able to defeat the evil one and so that man can be victorious and be redeemed. And even as I conclude, I would like just to go back to the chessboard setup. Remember I said there are two players. You and your opponent. One has to win. One has to calculate and, strategy and strategize. Are you are you calculating how to overcome the different kinds of oppositions in your life? Are you overcoming the number one opponent of your faith, and that's the devil? God had a plan from the beginning to redeem us, to redeem man, a calculated plan. I want to challenge you. In your chessboard setup, calculate and plan to win. I want us to just bow down and pray. Even as 
I've talked about this just put set up in God's calculated plan and move. And I just want to challenge you first. You might be here and you're wondering, you know, what is all this plan of redemption? What is all this chessboard uh, setup that God puts to redeem us? And you want to be part of God's redemption plan. I want to challenge you to take that step of faith. Put your hand up, we'll pray for you, and one of our pastors will sit with you and, and tell you about this God's redemption plan. So if you're here and you want, me, uh, you want to be part of God's redemption plan, please just put your hand up. Okay, you might be here also, and I've talked about all this uh, calculation. And you're wondering, you know, yeah, I have all these uh, oppositions in my life. And I want you, God, to actually enlighten me to be able to calculate well to overcome these opponents. You know, it might be, uh, it might be anxiety. It might be, you're, you know, you're jobless and this thing is taking toil, uh, a toll on you. It might be even your own marriage. And things are not working out. And everything is just working in the opposition. If you'd like me to pray for you, I will do so right now. That God will give you the wisdom to be able to calculate the right moves to overcome this opposition that you have in life. So if that's what you feel convicted, put your hand up. I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you just the way it really comes out. Every time differently. Thank you for opening up our eyes and seeing your plan since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. We are humbled to say that amidst of all that you did not give up on us. That you had a plan, you had a calculated plan, a setup so that you can overcome the evil one, so that we can be able to have eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And Father, Lord, we know that the journey doesn't end there. Even as we confess and say Jesus Christ is our Lord, the opponent is always there, ready to pin us down. And Father, Lord, that girls have put up their hands to say that, Lord, I have this opposition. I have this opponent and I need to overcome. I pray, Lord, that you will visit them right now in Jesus' name. I pray that, Lord, you will start working in their lives. That, Lord, they will have those calculating moves to overcome this opposition. And I pray for all of us, even as we, as we go on our journey of faith, that, Lord, will be able to calculate and set up, you know, the right moves to be able to overcome our opponent. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray even for those who are among us who didn't even put up their hands, but they have those problems. The Lord, you will visit them, Father. We thank you and we praise you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much.